Welcome to this week's Arts Report. It is March 23rd, 2016. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and joining me is... Hi, it's uh, Andy Ta. Yes, it's Andy. We all love Andy. Especially me. Yeah, you love you. I love myself. Which is good. Anyways, welcome to the Arts Report. We have such cool, amazing things for you today. We have two um, artist interviews, and we have a reviews to uh, really cool shows that happened last week as well as uh, kind of a quick preview of what's going to happen uh, upcoming this week. And we're just going to start right away. Let's talk about Brave New Playwrights. And if you remember, listeners, last week I had the very special opportunity to talk to some of our local UBC talent who are involved with Brave New Playwrights, such as the founder, uh, Professor uh, Brian Wade, and... Um, Another staff member, Professor Sarah Grave, they're part of the Brave New Playwrights, and it premiered uh, last week, Thursday, and ended on Sunday night. And for those who are just joining in and they don't know what Brave New Playwrights is, it's basically a chance for creative writing students in the stage uh, play uh, course to be able to put their shows on stage, which is much more monumental than just reading it out, to actually see it kind of directed and acted by local members of the Vancouver uh, theater community is a really a great way for students to envision their craft in a live space. So one thing that Brave New Play uh, writes is that they have two different uh, programs. They have program one and program two, meaning that um, 12 plays are selected from BFA and MFA students within the course. And we went to, uh, well, you went to program one. Is that right, Andy? That's right. Uh, and a few other. Christine also went, but she's not here this week. Unfortunately, Christine is not yeah. here this week. That's okay. Hope you feel better, Christine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, another program was program two, which I went to. So I went to both program one and program two because there are, again, two different programs and two different nights of wonderful plays from BFA and MFA students. So let's talk a little bit about Program 1. So Program 1 um, was on Thursday night. That was the opening night. And it featured plays Blue Carroted, Fracture, The Bus, To the Dead, Tripping with Trump, and A Little Foam. So why don't we start with maybe Blue Carroted, which is written by Jasmine Ruff in the uh, Creative Writing Department. Okay, so like that play um, features two childhood friends. Uh, mm -hmm. One one is gay, the other is married to an abusive husband, and they're yeah. kind of talking through their feelings one night. Um, they haven't seen each other in a while, and they're and one of the interesting things about the play is that it kind of so the conversations happen, and then something mm -hmm. happens, something else happens, mm -hmm. and we go back in time or something like that. Yeah, so there's there's like what's, a what's, what's there's, there's there. kind of like a, a rewinding thing right. happening in certain moments of the scenes. It just rewound like like a actual like, like you mentioned like a tape going back like a tape yeah and then the uh 
the characters were again they started to play in a different uh, scene, but with like the same dialogue from a previous scene. That's right. They start yeah. um, in a, they start um, from a something that they've done before, but they're going in a different direction. If that's that makes right. Sense. That's right. That's a better way of saying it. Kind of like uh, alternate universe, right. perhaps. You and get the same thing, and then it just branches out a little different. And we end with basically the one, one of the friends going home, which is what starts the play. Like the one of the friends asks, "Hey, do you want to stay?" and that's how the conversation basically sprawls. It starts mm-hmm. from this uh, this opening uh, thing that happens. At the end of the play, instead of you know uh, people they talk, um, the character just goes home. Yep. Yeah. One thing I really liked is the fact that uh, during the different resets, we see different kind of emotional, um, I guess, like different. I wouldn't say outbursts, but like a, like it. Ex- like a exposure to like their vulnerability, you know? Right, exactly. There's always this like um, feeling of things not said, and in these alternate universes, we explore, you know, what if they did say these things that mm-hmm. they actually feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing I did notice is um, w- when you when you're seeing the uh, the show, I saw it again on closing night, and it was actually much more different. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, there were there were two characters, and as you mentioned, one uh, is in a relationship with a woman, one's in a relationship with a man um in the first one you would say that they had like um like overt like like i guess like chemistry or overt right. attraction there's, to there's one another yeah there's like a sexual kind of under undertone to the whole conversation maybe mm-hmm. not sexual but like a kind of attraction towards one another yep and then when i saw it again on closing night it was actually much more subdued okay so there was no like was there still like touching each other and no not at all not actually at all. the and it in the original not the original because the first, the first one, because I think the dire- the uh, playwright wanted the second version to be her original vision. In the first version, the character, um, I-, I believe her name is Sarah. Mm-hmm. Sarah was the one that was kind of like like um, being a little more coquettish towards Eva, who is in the relationship with the you know abusive husband. Mm-hmm. But on closing night, the flip side, it was actually Eva who was trying to get Sarah to, you know, basically go along with her a little right. bit more, which is different. It was quite okay. quite the flip side. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. That was really interesting when I saw it again. I kind of expected the same thing as before. I'm like, okay, like, you know, like obvious, like attraction towards one another, but not being said. No, in, in the second version, it seemed like Sarah had no attraction to Eva at all. It was just mm-hmm. Eva trying to be like, hey, but we were so close and stuff like that. Right. Do you think that's like a director's choice to change it up or was it just the writer? I think it was the choice of the writer, to be honest. I think I think it was definitely her choice, and I think she talked to the um, director about it, which is, again, very good if you are a um, student in the creative writing program who wants to write plays and stuff like that. If you have any you know issues with your vision, you it is a very open kind of uh, discourse between playwright, actor, director, producers, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So if it's not adhering to what you want to see, they'd be really happy to kind of accommodate. Right, right. Yeah, accommodate, yeah. yeah that's the thing. <laughs> I was saying some other word. Anyways, so yeah, that was Blue Carotid. I really enjoyed it. It was a very good like opener to Brave New, I thought, because it really showed a lot of the, um, the, the kind of like subtle nuances in student work that people usually don't apply to student you know writers they kind of go like oh it's kind of like 
blatant, blah, blah, blah. No, very layered, multi-textured work. Mm-hmm. I really love the acting for both characters, mm-hmm. but especially um, the gay character whose name I... I Sarah. Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked her voice. <laughs> yeah, she had a really good a rhythm to her voice. Very natural. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, followed by that was uh, Fracture by Megan Andres, and she is a uh, Vancouver and Winnipeg-based uh, theater performer, director, dramaturg, and uh, most recently playwright. She has a uh, BA from the University of Manitoba, but she's working on a uh, MFA here at UBC. Mm-hmm. So she's an MFA. And let's talk about Fracture. My gosh, Fracture was one of the most scariest thing I've ever seen. It's right, like a family yeah. drama, but it's so scary to me. Yeah. Um, I said it was super Catholic. Yeah, as, you, as a play, you did say that very super conservative Catholic, yeah, these very traditional. Of, yeah, this idea of guilt and like religious guilt, especially and um, mm-hmm. sexual like uh, repression and guilt that comes from the pressures from a super religious family. I don't know if the person is Catholic, but that's just like mm-hmm. the kind of themes that uh, stood out to me. Well, they were they were reciting like uh, I don't know, are they called hymns? I'm not. I wish Christine was here. She I wish know. Christine was here. Yeah, she would know immediately. <laughs> well, the the mother character. Uh, played by Aurora Chan, she was so flippin' intense. Right, yeah. It was kind of like you couldn't take your eyes off of her. Like, she was this, like, huge presence of a very small woman. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, And, again, she was, like, saying all these, like, I think they were hymns. I'm going to say hymns. Chants. Yeah. Songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll just go with songs. I'm sorry. That's Everything okay. I know about the Bible comes from Paradise Lost. That's okay. Everything I know from the Bible comes from reading Tommy DePola's uh, book of Bible stories when I was like 11. And I only got it because Tommy DePola did the, DePaola, did the, the drawings for, you know, Stregonona. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember Stregonona. Anyways, yeah, that's the reason why I bought this book. And I read right. it and I was like, this is not like Stregonona at all. I was like young. Anyways, uh, back to what we were saying. Um, yeah, she's singing these, like, Bible songs, and then she's, like, combing through her daughter's hair. And then you'd think at first it's really, like, nice and gentle. Oh, you know, mother-loving, you know, daughter, very, like, family. Then the daughter says, ow, stop it, that hurts. And you're like, um, Uh-oh. what is happening? Yeah, this woman plays the character, like, as a kind of ghost, as a vengeful ghost, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, she's, like, very, almost demonic at times. She is, and um, it is kind of like a, it's kind of a back and forth between the past and the present, isn't it? That's right. Um, in the present, there's the this uh, Irish boyfriend character who's very handsome. Yeah, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Played by uh, actor Jeremiah O'Driscoll. Mm-hmm. Very handsome. And very nice accent. I, I was trying to figure out if it was fake, but I think it was a real It was a real accent, accent. Yeah. yeah. Was it Irish? I'm it, pretty I, sure it was Irish, yeah. His last name is Driscoll. But then again, Pat is making assumptions. But it was really good accent. So it's not like a bad assumption, maybe. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, you're right. And he was kind of like plagued between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just the love of, you know, a present person and the hatred that comes that can come from family. Um, I think it's kind of like this idea that blood doesn't really matter as much as people think it does mm-hmm. you know you can have toxic family members and you can you should sever you know you don't always have to have this obligation towards them mm-hmm. and that was that was one of her biggest guilt is that she had that she felt like she could not get away from this woman because she was blood because mm-hmm. she was family and because of that that guilt carried over and it was ruining her other relationships as well yeah, that's right um the mother is not a ghost literally in the play but she's actually in a 
uh, in she's, a sick home or something. Yeah, she's right? in a sick home, and her brother, who is a missionary, I think Cambodia. Cambodia, yes. yeah. Remember she's, that? Yeah. yeah, Cambodia. Yeah, that's right. He has, he has to go to Cambodia, and he wants her to take care of her. Mm-hmm. He wants the younger sister, the main character, to take care of her, and the, then yeah, then this woman who's been seriously abusive uh, oh, towards seriously? her her entire life. Mm-hmm. Like, and she's coming to the decision, she's still my mother, do I have to or do I not? If I don't, does that make me a bad person? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, it doesn't make you a bad person. This person is a bad influence in your life, and you can put that away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, very, very pow- powerful piece, powerful piece. And then uh, after that was The Bus, which is actually uh, written by me. By yourself, that's By right. me, that's right. And I'm a BFA uh, <laughs> student at the uh, creative writing uh, program. And... We you will get back yeah, to we'll, me we'll later. We'll get back to this one. You'll get back to me later. It feels so weird. I wish Christine was here. <laughs> Anyways, after that was To the Dead, which we really enjoyed. That was written by uh, Bryce uh, Dorsum. I hope I said that right. And it was about this man who thought he was dead. Thought he was dead. Yep. It was just after such, a car accident, I believe. After a car accident. It was just yeah. really, I think it was like really, really funny. It was really, really funny. That's right. I think the actors did a really good job in making it even that comedic. The actor for the character who thinks he's dead, Lewis, uh, Sean Patrick Sonier, phenomenal. He, like, was, he was great. His facial expressions, the way his eyes bugged out when he's like, oh my God, I'm dead. Like that moment, everyone just burst out laughing in that, in that um, auditorium. That's right. It's a great non sequitur, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm dead. Yep. And then uh, his... Poor wife, his poor wife Cynthia is trying to say, "You're not dead." Oh my gosh, you're not. And the thing is, he's not. He's not dead. He's not dead. Just for people who are wondering, is he really dead? No, he's not. He just really, really. He, he just really thinks he is. He's just really, really stupid. And Cynthia even mentions that too. You're like so dumb. But outside of this, like kind of farcical, like I'm dead sort of revelation, is this underlying sort of like almost um, darker side to the accident isn't there that's right um i think partly uh, goes back to this idea of guilt again Mm -hmm. but um the man he was in the accident with bill bill Mm -hmm. he apparently the the character thinks he's dead apparently cheated um on his wife with um that character with bill's wife Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where the story ends up Mm -hmm. towards the end it 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 does and then unfortunately lewis the dead man quote-unquote dead man doesn't realize the fact that he did that or he did he did say sorry right i I think think he did he did yeah i think he realized by the end bill was laying it on kind of thick like oh my god i'm so sorry and then there's this like sense of apology and whatnot the most crushing part is though is the fact that bill plays up to lewis's kind of idea that he's dead and even challenges him that's right he says well you we can prove that you're dead you know you can just kill yourself again and if you don't die you can't kill someone that's already dead yeah right? you're, so you're dead right buddy that's, and he's that's, like that's perfect logic that is so smart i'm gonna do that how should i do that wait painkillers painkillers i'm not supposed to drink alcohol with mm-hmm. i'll just take five i'll just do that right now and then poor cynthia bless her heart she comes in and she's like oh lewis why are you all sleepy and you just feel so bad that's right you feel so bad and you're like he is so dumb <laughs> oh my god but i think that's what made this story so great is the fact that you opened up with this like completely farcical situation everyone thinks it's gonna be a huge laugh like ha 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 but at the end everyone is so crushed mm-hmm, yeah 
everyone's soul is like, ah, like they just left along with Lewis's. That's, that's a great way of putting it, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And so, Good Job to the Dead, a wonderful play by Bryce Dorson. And followed up with Tripping with Trump. I thought Tripping with Trump was also very good. And that was by playwright Colleen Osborne, whom you may know, listeners, from last week, was one of the um, guests that we interviewed for the Brave New Playwrights, I guess, panel, to say, uh, to describe it. But Tripping with Trump, how did you enjoy Tripping with Trump? Um... I thought it was really interesting. Oh, I'm not, not going to say interesting. That's not very descriptive. <laughs> but there is a moment uh, towards the end where uh, she says something like, and that's why you don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. And, so. if, and if it stopped right there, I think <laughs> that would have been my favorite play. That would have been really funny. That's, def- that's still definitely the best joke of the, of the evening, evening mm-hmm. I thought. One thing about Tripping with Trump, for people who may not know, is about this uh, young woman. Uh, she... When she was younger, she used to do acid and all these, like, drugs in this 30-year-old man's home. And this man called himself Donald Trump. And he lived with his dad and his two sons. And his dad, I think one half of his body was paralyzed, and she even demonstrated that on stage. It was a one-woman show. It was definitely a monologue. And uh, the actress who portrayed Charlie, the main character, Alana Mabrito, Alana Mabrito, um, like great job like she got like the accent down too because she's from a small town near toronto oh yeah 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 that accent that was like all like like sharp and yeah stuff. That, that was great like trump trump <laughs> it was so great and there's like references to the guess who which is like a canadian band. oh my god so many references to the guess who the guess who starts playing the guess who fades <laughs> yeah the one thing i really liked about uh tripping with trump is the fact that we have this kind of like quirky narrative from a a possibly unreliable narrator because she again admits that she did drugs a ton of drugs a ton of drugs and the fact that she can't even recognize this person who may or may not be called donald trump so you are left wondering was this all you know you know was this all from her coked up head like what is the truth because yeah. none of the events seem like they're real but it can also be so real in that fact yeah yeah that's an interesting way of putting it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like, the play is kind of about not running away, right? Not running away, yeah. Because uh, she implies that Donald Trump has changed his name, which is why um, he doesn't respond when she calls out Donald mm-hmm. or Trump. Mm-hmm. And he, she thinks she, she thinks that um, he's gone to a different city mm-hmm. while she's actually moving home. That's right. right. One thing I also liked is the visual effect that they did. You remember, right? They had the projection down, and then they had that kaleidoscope kind of thing happening. So on the projection, if you guys remember looking through a kaleidoscope when you were a kid, you know how you turn it around, all these, like, different shapes start, like, tumbling and becoming one of the other while she was doing drugs? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it felt like, hey, you're on this acid trip with me, pal. It's like one of those videos. It's like, uh, this is what your brain looks like on LSD or something. Yep. And then, like, the sound, like, it was really, really funny. And at times, uh, not only just funny, but kind of, like, also illuminating on how sad some realities can be. Yeah. And, like, the backdrop of most of the play is the gas station. Yeah, the the backdrop. Middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere, gas station, small town, small town. What do you do in a small town? That kind of thing. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. After that, we got a little foam, which was the uh, 
the the piece that closed the first night of uh, Brave New Playwrights, a little film that is with uh, that's written by uh, Casey Novak. And one thing about little film was the actress was so friggin' funny in that it's about it's about the story about this man who's a waiter and he's on the bus waiting to get back to no no not waiting to get back waiting to go to work. Go to work, yeah. That's right. And then this lady with this crazy hair just slumps and sleeps on him. Yeah. She she wakes up, then she glares at him, and then she leaves. And then he, for some reason, is curious by this lady. Follows her. Follows her. And then? And it's a meet-cute. It's a meet-cute. Yeah, Yeah. kind of. It's a meet-cute. And then they discover why they kind of gravitated towards a certain passion of theirs, which is um, trusting slash not believing people and writing writing yeah mm-hmm. and there's something about like writing about writing that can be maybe um maybe not that interesting because yeah. writers talking about their own craft but this was i think really charming i think it was really charming mostly because the characters were quite uh different the character chris with the crazy hair who was kind of like this like mm, like i hate to use the word manic, manic pixie, pixie dream, dream girl. girl yeah that's what i was thinking as well i don't feel why i was like don't say it but it came into my head she's very that uh yeah i agree and then the um the other character matt perfect straight man perfect straight man he's like what am i doing here with you but yet he cannot get away the same actor who played the irish boyfriend yeah he played uh jake and the other one it's the same actor jeremiah o'driscoll he plays a really good straight man yeah he does yeah and if he not straight man as in like sexuality as in like comedy straight man for those who don't know, it's just when there's a wacky character, you need someone to balance it out. That's right. Are you my straight man? Uh, I think I might be. Ooh. Oh, thank are you. you. Are you my wacky, wacky girl? I guess I can be your wacky girl. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just don't make me a manic dream pixie type. Okay. I won't. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I, like, if I'm trying to spread fairy dust everywhere, ugh. That, that sounds really bad. That sounds really <laughs> bad. Anyways, A Little Foam by Casey Novak, a perfect way to end the night, really lovely we ended these two unlikely people bond over their love of writing mm-hmm. and they are perhaps going to continue on writing cuz i think she gave up and he's struggling to start and they kind of end up on the same place like let's let's do this let's take writing seriously could you say they end up on the same page i could <laughs> for those audience who don't know we did that kind of like thing with your arm where you kind of like like make a fist and then you kind of go like oh shucks you know what I'm thinking. You know what you're. You know what I'm talking about when I say "oh shuck." That arm sweep motion, that kind of thing. But yeah, they end up on the same page, and it was really a good way to end the festival because it is really about that. We have writers who are just starting, writers who maybe are kind of like done with writing, but they want to start again. We have all these writers from different areas, from different points of their writing, who have created plays for people to enjoy at the festival. Yeah, and as someone who saw um, these plays all after one after another, it's really interesting um, how certain things come up, like how all these plays involve sitting down and chairs. <laughs> I, I kept talking, I uh, kept saying to Christine, there's another chair, there's another chair, they're going to sit down again. Well, they have to, they can't always all stand up. Everyone's got to sit down at one That's point. That's true. It was especially noticeable because we were in a place where we couldn't see um, yeah. when characters were like lying down. That is true. Yeah. That is true. Uh, we unfortunately picked a non-ideal spot. That is the, the foibles of live theater, y'all. <laughs> if you are in a place where you can't see, you're like, this greatly diminishes my enjoyment of said event. Sit in the front, guys. 
sit in the front. Yeah, especially if you're going to Brave New Playwrights next year, please sit in the front. The front two rows, very good um, access to everything, especially when characters are sitting down or lying down. Which, which happens is, a lot. Which happened a lot. Anyway, we're going to go into a few uh, quick commercials and then get back to you. You're listening to The Arts Report, CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muskegon territory in Vancouver. I'm your host, Ashley Park. Joining me is... Uh, Andy Ta. All right. Talk to you guys soon. understand more about fashion, we asked CITR student executive and fashion expert Jonathan Q what fashion means to him. Like, it's just aesthetically something that's so ostentatious. Typically, typically. I mean, because of course, I mean, it's also, you know, I mean, when, when you say fashion, I think people are talking explicitly about uh, consumerism as opposed to someone who buys, like, uh, like, you know, If you really want to know more about fashion, come on down to CITR in the Student Union Building of UBC and pick up some of our merchandise a la mode. Nous avons t-shirts, sweatshirts, socks, and coffee mugs. But it's also very aesthetically gripping. To keep you styling in support of the station you love. Isn't that right, Jonathan? Well, actually, is it? Because, I mean, you know, I was going to say because of the cultural vacuum that we exist within, but then, you know, uh, really fashion today is kind of derived from the European idea of couture and that's been around for centuries. Let's listen in as one poor soul tries to find something good to enjoy on the radio. Let's see here. Uh... Oh. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody. God, this is awful. Well, I climbed up the mountain, climbed back down again for you. I climbed up the mountain again for you, and then I climbed back down, climbed up. Oh, isn't there anything, 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 anything? Listening to the radio these days can be distressing. Fortunately, here at CITR, our programmers choose the music that they play, so our charts reflect what people actually listen to. To find out what's really topping the charts, pick up a copy of Discord or Magazine, or check us out online at citr.ca. Unless, of course, you'd rather keep listening to the chart-topping single, Everybody Dance. What, you don't like to dance? Everybody dance. Everybody dance. Everybody dance, dance. What, you don't like to dance? This is my life. I I wake up in the morning, I eat, I sleep, I shit. Breakfast with the Browns. Whatever it is, but I never shut it off for five minutes. I can't wait to impress my friends with my astounding knowledge of cool. Join your favorite Brownsters and tune in and listen to the best selection of down-tempo electro-pop lounge core. Strictly Squaresville. Remember. Subtle. Basic. Brown. Breakfast with the Browns. On CITR 101.9 FM. Every Monday morning. Uh, from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. The older I get, the more life starts to make sense, and the less I care. Now we're riding the rainbow, the clouds and we're making it like young. 
And welcome back to the Arts Report. Uh, you're listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muscogee Territory in Vancouver. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and joining me is one of my favorite, favorite Arts Report theater correspondents, Jake Clark. Happy to be here. And what do you have for us today? Well, I have an interview with the lovely Patricia Mendez, who is a member of the of the. UBC, I'm sorry, Reflex, UBC Improv Team, which performed at Impulse Festival last Wednesday to last Saturday. That was March 16th to the 18th. Yes. All yes, right. I, yes. I believe that's, that's correct. That's right. Yep. Anyways, well, thank you so much for being on our show. Can you tell us how Impulse Festival was? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Impulse is basically just a four-day festival where we have teams from all across Western Canada and Washington uh, come in to UBC, and they just did some shows, and then we hung out afterwards and just all got to know each other and, like, celebrate improv. And that sounds, that sounds very spontaneous. It was spontaneous. Were they get-together spontaneous true. as well? Uh, was a rule of the festival you couldn't plan anything afterwards? Not quite. Like we did plan some things out. They, it wasn't all improvised. So. And if somebody asks you what, if somebody asks what you're doing, you say yes and. Hey, that's true. <laughs> um, so I, I saw the first show on on Wednesday, and that was that was a very good array of shows. There was the UBC team, right. which was awesome. There was the Little Mountain team. Now Little Mountain, where are they from? They are right? actually from Vancouver. Uh, they're like a professional uh, improv team. I would say, I would say, and they have shows. Uh, they gave flyers out. They have shows up in Vancouver. Uh, if you look them up online, you can get all the information. And it was just three guys from Little Mountain who came and did a show, and they were awesome. It was really cool to see someone from, like, a professional setting do it. It gave us some ideas on what we'd like to do with our improv eventually. And They, they really went with the setting. They, had, they were asked to be, like, in, in a submarine, right? That's right, yeah. And then they had the gags about uh, juice boxes? That is tr- yeah. Is that the case? And now, after that, there was, I believe, University of Regina? Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, and they, they, um, they, they're the university team, as was, I believe, the, was it Winnipeg? I'm sorry, I, I couldn't, I didn't uh, catch, it was I, I didn't of catch Winnipeg, the intro. Yeah. Oh, and uh, these shows, they, they were different, they asked for different things uh, to introduce them with. The submarine was the one, then people asked for an object, and I think Regina got a hand towel. Yeah. Now, that, that was a little strange. Oh. It is, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can never really control what will come up mm-hmm. uh, onto the audience, Um suggestion list I guess if you ask for a location if you ask for a object you can't really lead the direction in one uh, kind of in a favorable way towards like what you'd like it so it's like very much spontaneous and improvised. Now the interesting thing is that the UBC team was a it was a larger team for one. Right yes. It was about uh, how many people would you say? Uh, There was 10 of us there's 10 of us on that team total but uh, I think one person couldn't make it, so we were nine that night. Okay, nine, nine, like like the Fellowship of the Ring, <laughs> and um, they they're cycled through that. Like the Fellowship of the Ring, there was quite a disparate series of adventures. There was this is just uh, I'm just going to read these off, and it's going to sound like I'm hallucinating. But there was chapstick, names for numbers, anaphylactic shock from cat fur knitting, close quarters party, tavern ID problems, and homeschooling during a divorce. Yeah, I think you got it. Those all. Those are the ones. Did I did I get them all? Because I, I think I mi- I thought I was missing at least one, and. I th- there was only one prompt, and I was w- there's one, the one prompt was chapstick, right? Right, and so we uh, we did a classic herald. So what that means is we got a suggestion from the audience for an object, and 
Our object mm-hmm. was chapstick. And so then we played kind of an opening game, as we like to call it, where we would uh, we tossed around. It was sort of like idea association. So mm-hmm. things that would come to mind related to chapstick. And we'd like throw ideas around our circle. Uh, we did that three times until we looped back to chapstick three times. Yep. And from those ideas that were thrown around in the circle, we came up with... Um, ideas for scenes and so Mm. then we did like an ABC format and so those were the three storylines with the anaphylactic shock the medieval bar tavern and and the third one was the kind of the funky shag carpet room yeah that 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 one escalated quickly (laughs) that was like quite an odd scene yeah and then like in the end like there was I don't know can you spoil an improv show like I I think you can I think you can (laughs) Like, I'm not sure if they were filmed and if they're going to be put up. So, like, maybe we should just oh. okay. Maybe we should maybe right. we keep it under wraps. That's right. Yeah. It was it was a it was quite a sight to behold. It was amazing, as it always is. Yeah. And is, is improv always like that? Like always in in, in exercises and everything? Uh, it's not always in that particular style. You've got mm. different kinds of forms and different kinds of uh, formats you could perform in. And so uh, we chose to do a herald, which is kind of like a classic one. Um, but there's a lot of different ones and a lot of like adjusted ones. And so you never really know. Okay, so what is uh, – so the Herald, you described it as when you take a one word and you loop around three times? That, that's that was for the opener. Um, and mm-hmm. then using that kind of like loop opener, you uh, play out uh, three scenes. Then you have kind of like a little mini scene in between. And you play out the continuation of those three scenes and then a little mini scene in between and then the conclusion of those three scenes. That's quite a structure to it. Yeah, it's very kind of like – Put together. And what are some other uh, show for, uh, formats that the re- uh, improv team has used? That there's so practice? many. Uh, another one we've done is called push pins. So you kind of like describe a map of a location to an audience and you zoom in on certain parts of the map and then play scenes ah. within that map. Um, there's also kind of similar to what the University of Regina did, which is an Armando where you like do a monologue and then have some scenes based on that monologue, and then do another monologue, and have some more scenes. Armando, it sounds very dramatic. It is, yeah. We like to. Okay, so this is this is possibly a tangential question. What's the strangest prompt you've ever received in, in improv, like in practice or in mm-hmm. or in in um in a show? Oh, um, we one time, well, during a practice, we got a plushy desert, um, okay. as our setting. Plushy yeah. desert. So it depends on how you interpret it. Yeah. We're not sure plushy is really true. an adjective, so we just described a desert with like a lot of stuffed animals. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, that's yeah. what I thought, like a desert full of stuffed animals. Yeah, like that's animals. basically what we had, so. Okay, and there, you, you guys did one more show in the Impulse Festival, um, which I, I was unable to see. When was that, and what was that like? Uh, well, actually, we had three teams from UBC, four teams from UBC performing, mm-hmm. and then we had really? an ensemble team, yeah, so... Uh, I'm on the advanced workshop team. Uh, then there's two directed teams and a self-directed team, and we all performed on different days. How do you direct improv? Uh, basically, it's um, it's when you have a coach at your practices, so you have an outside resource uh, giving you workshops and giving you kind of tips and pointers on your mm. improv skills, whereas the self-directed is a group of, like, really experienced improvers who kind of like know the ropes already and are able to judge for themselves what direction they need to. So it's like a riff off, in. but an advanced one. Kind of. Yeah. Nice. That, that, that sounds like that, that conjures a very pleasant image. Like the, the coach image, no offense to anybody involved does conjure an image like of a visor wearing East German and jaw with jawed pores and a riding crop, like be more spontaneous. <laughs> no, it's very much like, it's very relaxed in like a general sense. Like we're coached by one of the, uh, mm-hmm by Eric Benadon. He's on the directed team. 
And he's just, he's been coached by other people. And so he takes that kind of knowledge and brings it in. And it's like very useful. Like we appreciate it a lot. He teaches you how to be spontaneous. Uh, yeah. And he teaches us how to control that spontaneity in a mm-hmm. manner that doesn't get too crazy. Gives you directions on improv. Exactly. That's okay. So, and uh, there's been other improv shows I know of, and some may be going on. Some may have. I, I know I've I've uh, heard of several that, by all accounts, were amazing. Mm-hmm. And what about the future? Are what What's the future of uh, your the improv situation right now? Uh, I actually don't really know. Uh, UBCI has grown so much this past year as well as last year. Uh, most of our shows are sold out now, which is amazing to see. And uh, we we have pr- new presidents coming next year, and I'm excited to see where they're going to take the um, take take the team and the club. Uh, the current presidents did a really good job, um, so I see us only going further from here. And for any of those who are listening who might be interested in joining the improv team, do you have any tips and tricks on you know how they can kind of open up to uh, getting involved? Yeah, so at the beginning of the year, they hold auditions for the improv team. Uh, So you could buy a membership and sign up for audition at the same time. And then in terms of the audition, just be yourself. Uh, Relax, Mm -hmm. don't think about it too much because, again, improv is all about being spontaneous and if you're trying too hard. What if you're an overthinker by nature? Uh, I'd say try to... Try to get out of that. You know, just be confident in your ability to, like, mm-hmm. do well and to be yourself. And the harder you try to be funny, I think the less it works. Could you so. tell me how to do that? I've been trying to do that for about five years. <laughs> just maybe take a deep breath. Count to ten a couple of times. Breathe out, right? <laughs> that would probably, that, that, that'll probably help. Mm-hmm. For you. <laughs> yeah. All right. And now, if you could pick, and you've been involved in improv for this year? Yeah, this year. And uh, you're a first year student. A second. Second year student. And so, uh, it, it throughout, what's the representation in, in improv? Would you say of first, second, third graduating students? Uh, what do you mean by representation? I'm, I'm, I guess I'm wondering how much the team you do replace every year oh, uh, from graduation. Um, it's not. Um, it's hard to say because I've only been on the team this one year. Uh, mm. I'd say. I'd say we do have a lot of new people come in every year, but we also have people who graduate and people who mm. decide that they'd like mm-hmm. no longer want to be part of the club. So it's like very hard to predict. It like varies from year to year, I'd assume. All right. Mm-hmm. And is there is there anything you can recommend um, a watching? Like is there you mentioned that some of this might be recorded. Is there anywhere you can find the clips of any past improv shows? Oh yeah, uh, the YouTube page, uh, UBC There's a improv. YouTube page? Yeah. Awesome. So if you go to the UBC improv, you can see uh, some of the shows that we did from our non-improv show, which is um, so stand-up comedy, uh, musical performances, dance performances. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some filmed sketches from or filmed shows, I should say, from um, previous mm-hmm. improv shows at UBC. And there's also filmed sketches that uh, were actually like directed beforehand and that we also put on for the non-improv show. And those were Im- those were improv for the thing or were the, or was it the or was it the improv team doing a scripted sketch? Um, some of them are scripted sketches done by the improv team which was again put on for our non-improv show uh, but then the there is also just improvised shows that we've filmed. All right. okay, that sounds that sounds pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And and is there anything you'd like us to know about improv like us and the listeners to know? Uh, our last show is on Friday, April the 1st at right. $3 admission, 7 p.m. in Scarf 100. So come And that's in. not a joke, right? No. <laughs> no I was no. going to say April 1st. Everyone hmm. thinks we're kidding, but no, the jokes are to come inside. I don't think you're kidding ah, about the show. I'm just wondering right. what's going to happen once we're at the show. 
oh, it's going to be a lot of hilarity. Guaranteed. It's going to be a lot of April Fool's things, right? Well, maybe not. Maybe? It's it's spontaneous. We never know. Yeah, it's exactly. all up in the air. That, that doesn't assuage anybody's fears. But yeah. <laughs> again, but that does make me really want to see it. The show, again, is uh, April 1st. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. at... Uh, Scarf 100. Scarf 100. And that's the Neville Scarf Building. Right. The that's Education. Right. Faculty yeah. of Education Building. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and you so much for having me. And we, we really hope to uh, see your show on April 1st. All right, Arts Report listeners, we're going to now go into a few PSAs and then get back to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Passionate, playful, and provocative storytelling. Theater at UBC's upcoming show, The Arabian Nights, by acclaimed playwright Mary Zimmerman, is being directed by Evan Frame and running from March 17th to April 2nd at the Frederick Wood Theater. The narrative centers around Scheherazade's tales told to King Shariar in hopes that she may live another night. For 1,001 nights. <laughs> Like friends, well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends on Commercial Drive, like 10% off at Stormcrow Tavern, High Life Records, Audio Pile, Mintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. And welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and joining me is... Hi, I'm Andy Ta. Howdy, I'm Jake Clark. All right, and now we have a few more stuff. I think, Jake, you want to talk a little bit about Story Hive. And Andy, you have a little bit of, a, yeah, I do. Uh, of an interview to do, but that <laughs> is for way later for the cool peeps, I guess. But let's talk about Story Hive. So Story Hive is a lovely effort put out by TELUS Mobile. Mm-hmm. And basically what it is, it's a yearly... Uh, it's 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 a it's a prize essentially for applicants who apply with web series pilots. Oh, yeah, web, yeah, se- web series. Web series, yeah. Like YouTube stuff. Yes, the medium scheduled to replace film, television, uh, written word, everything except radio. No, uh, yeah. it's 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 but it is a new and emerging medium. And Telus Mobility, I will say this right now, is really good to at least sponsor that. I mean. Ron Howard's ahead of the curve there. And oh, that either yeah, yeah. says something very significant or very terrifying uh-huh. about it. So how was Story Hive? Now, Story Hive is, was an amazing event because this was a year after last year's, and it mm-hmm. was the five – no, five – four. Sorry. I'm in arts. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but the four ones that made it properly. Okay. And these were four uh, – three were com- comedic. One was dramatic. And what happened was there were about 30 applicants – uh, for the web series, and all of these applicants were jockeying for. I think it was it, it was a different. It was about ten grand up front, and then I, I believe there were other fees to make six episodes of a web series. And they were doing it essentially with a pilot, or at least with. We saw the pilots right now, but what they were applying with was like proof of concept stuff. Okay. And these were very interesting. These were kind of they were kind of weird, but I like weird stuff. And frankly, though. 
it's not alienating kind of weird. It's like, this is fun weird. Like, this is entertaining. Like, almost kind of like little eccentric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you when you go in there, though, it's an interesting ambience because there was lights down low. There was there was sax music. There was a wine bar. I was yeah. wondering if they, I was, I was wondering if they were, you know, I don't know if there was one if there was an ulterior motive from the guys. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know, is this for me? But no, it was like, it was a lovely thing. It was a great turnout because there were some people I met, these, these two actors, Robin, Robin, uh, what was it, Braden. And, they're, and they, they, they were there because they're, they're catching up with, other with other actors who are looking at it, they were very impressed by it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I talked to a lot of the people involved, and very interesting people. And uh, I talked to a fellow first named Rodrigo Holmes. Mm-hmm. He sounds like he should have his own novel, but he's and he, he was an interesting guy. He was the set designer on the series Coded, and I'll, we'll get to the series in a second. Sure. But he was um he, he was was he this, he was a set designer. He was the designer yep. in general. And he was talking about uh, the collaborative nature of the venture. So I learned right off the bat, these were very collaborative series. The director, the writer, the actors, everybody was talking to each other, which I, I personally like quite a lot because I've, I've been in shows and I've put on shows. And it, it really does help, at least at this level, when yeah, you can talk to people. Definitely, Because I, I understand why there are studio systems that have a graduation of that process. But on a smaller scale, you really it really does help to have a, a, a dialogue between the people involved. It really makes everything so much easier. Builds a community. Yeah. And like it, fosters well, yeah. like a network. And as a writer, you know, if, if your actors can will, – will, if the actors talking about it, you know, are given lines that they will actually want to say. Yeah. Like if I, – I, as an actor, like I've been given a line that says, I cannot say these words – like Greg Sestero, if you've seen The Room, he says, leave your stupid comments in your pocket. He yeah. remembers in The Disaster Artist looking the at that line and going, the only way I could do this is if I verbally substituted it. Even Liam Neeson couldn't say that line convincingly. Yeah. And that's – and that exact situation was avoided, according to Mr. Holmes, very hard in all of these productions. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were very collaborative. They were very fun. And there was um, – there was a, this tone to them that – Everybody was giving their all. There yeah. was everybody involved, and these were minimalistic. These were minimalist, but they were full. Yes. Uh, cast rosters was doing their best, and that carried over well. And we watched the pilots, and then I talked to the directors of each one. So mm-hmm. first up was Coded. Now, Coded is a series, is the dramatic one. Okay. And it's a series, now, you know the movie, like, To Sir With Love was frequently invoked, uh, mm-hmm. but also, like, I think... What more people will be, familiar with, will be familiar with is Dangerous Minds, where there's a yeah. tough teacher who goes into a school full of troubled people and corrects that. Yeah, basically he's like, you yeah. rowdy kids, I'm going to straighten you out. Somewhat. I mean, and it's, it's sometimes like to start with love gets it right and that there's equality there, that there has to be – there's inequality there and that the British yeah. education system at the time probably still doesn't have that. But um, Coded is named after a venture in Alberta where students were assigned codes. Okay. Um, for and troubled students got a specific code, and if you're coded, you're basically screwed. You're oh. like you're one step above being expelled. And but you, when people don't want to expel, they get get expelled. They get coded. Mm-hmm. So the basically this teacher comes in who doesn't have much experience, but has wor- lived or worked at a group lived in a group home, I believe, mm-hmm. and he um, he's confronted with these troublesome students, and it ends with them basically. It's this is because this is the first of six episodes. The students wreak havoc. Like they're obviously going to be a handle. Yes. Oh, like um, and uh, like there's one guy who's pretty obviously psychotic, and all of them have issues, and it's it's left hanging there. It was a kind of a dark ending to the pilot. Dramatically differently was Night Owl High, 
And Night Owl High is also set in a high school and also features a teacher trying to straighten up students. The difference is this is a vice principal, and he's remembering things in flashback. Oh, okay. In film noir mode. Oh, okay. He's kind of cracked. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's imagining it as, a, as like, a, a film noir uh, a detective movie, and... He's obviously, he's telling this story to his admins as to how he was trying to find people responsible for academic fraud. <laughs> and it's really funny because he's, he's obviously illustrating the story in such a way that because he, he seems to be, like, his appearance in the present is pretty ruffled. He's, he looks like he's having a nervous breakdown. And, like, I, I can't do it, but, like, the best moment, like, this gr- brilliant moment of comedy comes when the, he sees these guys. He's like, nah, you couldn't have because... They tell him that things are being forged. He's like, how could they forge it? We mark the tests in ink. They're in the computer. How would we fit all the tests in the computer? (laughs) He doesn't understand how it works. (laughs) And he sees this guy with, like, A's across the board trying to fight a door because it's, like, pull and it's push or the other way around. I've done this frequently myself. I can't. Okay. But then he's like, to the to the student who tipped him off, you're right. These kids couldn't pour water out of a boot with instructions on the heel. <laughs> now, when does this internet close? And that's at the end of that. It's like, uh, I, I could see it happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after that, there was, um, I believe it was, the last two were, I might have missed in order, but they, uh, I remember both of them. There yeah. was, uh, first, there was Straight to Video, okay. which was, and she's this series about the guy who owns a video store. We know how lucrative that is right now. Yeah. So he's about to burn it down, but he gets a VCR okay. through the mail, and he puts it in. It sucks him in, and he has to go through the plots of these different B-movies. Oh, wow. That's these different, like, And he ends up, the one he ends up in is basically Friday the 13th, uh-huh. and he's there just as the Jason Voorhees type of killer gets shot by the final girl. Okay. Well, and so and he's just veering through different ones, getting like one. According to the director, one was like Predator Cross with the Vietnam movie. Oh wow! And it's just homage to these. Yep. And then the, the other one was Hugagram. The final one was Hugagram. Hugagram. Yeah, which is it seems kind of like um, I don't mean this is an insult in any way. It's like it means it's like if Joe Swanberg made Two and a Half Men is the closest thing I can see. And I uh-huh. like Two and a Half. I like Two and a Half Men. So there you go. I, I used to like Two and a Half Men. It, like, <laughs> it's like Joe Swanberg made the good half of Two and a Half Men. Okay. And it's about this guy who it is a hugogram, so he hugs people and delivers a message. <laughs> and he's growing to hate his job because, well, there's there's kind of problems with that. Yeah. And his boss makes him do it, though, because his, like, his sister's pregnant. He needs to help her out. So, <laughs> And he's the best at it. So it ends with him getting like uh, the address of a blind woman with a knife. Oh wow! And it just ends with that, and uh, I think she's blind. I'm not sure. She's she's comes out swinging, okay. but um. And then after this, there was a Q and A with these directors, and I talked to them in person as well. Mm-hmm. And so Cody Kennedy, I talked to him first, the guy from Straight to Video. He's very interested in web series uh, in making the videos even shorter because okay. these pilots were about five to ten minutes. I, I cannot remember the exact time span because I'm mm-hmm. I'm in arts, but That's okay. Numbers evade me. But he's talking about even shorter. Like, we're talking two-minute videos here. And mm-hmm. I thought about it as a cigarette break videos, basically, yeah. to condense the story further into that, which is very interesting. And I thought about how that would go um, as a narrative. Because I know people have done it. Like, uh, Anna Akana has done it with um, smaller topics mm-hmm. in, in her web series. But uh, with a narrative, I'd find that very interesting. Well, some people do that, though, like Vines. They're like, what, seven seconds? Six seconds, Six yeah. Six seconds. But can you tell a story through a Vine, though? I feel like you can. It really depends on how how you set it up and how you unfold the action very quickly. It involves like a lot of cuts. Yep, a yeah. lot of cuts. Mm-hmm. But to tell like an actual 
large chunk of a beginning, middle to end, that is something that could possibly be a challenge. Yeah, and I, th- th- I'm very interested to see how he goes about trying to make this, goes about trying to create this. I I, I look forward to seeing what they produce because, it, frankly, I, I I these all of these were extremely interesting things, and mm-hmm. I um I was tr- I'm just trying to remember Jolie Collins who did created coded, uh, she talked about that and she talked about to Sir with love, and I. I I really like Sidney Poitier. He's one of my favorite actors, but I, I understand that he might have been. I'm afraid. I was afraid that he might have forgotten it, and this reminded me of that. And I was like, you know, if, if this helps that out at all, then I'm very thankful. And she's like, she said, thank you, thank you very much about that, and uh, that was just very good to hear. And then um, there was um, the well, I'm trying to remember the yeah, um, yeah, female directors. Uh, in this scene are apparently very, are very well represented because apparently about half of the applicants are, were female directors. And uh, only Miss Collins, who directed um, Coded, was um, a, a, a final, uh, was a finisher there. But they were voted on. They were voted on by the people who um, visited the website. And that, that was interesting, I thought, how that was canvassed. And... Uh, as I, I talked to a few people about this, and there was there was a Q and A after the show, and somebody was obviously thinking a similar thing because they asked, uh, in light of the Oscars, uh, you know, we 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 know that situ- we know that situation. Um, in light of that, how they were repre- how they were thinking about the representation of um, of female or, or female directors or people of color, and that um, they raised uh, it was it was an interesting point because uh, at on the one hand there was the fact that. That there, there were not um, one. The, now the protagonist of Coded is is a is a black man, and there is um, and they they did note that there was it was mostly done by by white men, mm-hmm. but as as far as I've seen, like the the casting and a large part of and and the directorial distribution was based on who could do the work because I, and I, I believe them about that because these are smaller initiatives. You don't really, I, I know why, I know why the film industry is probably does a lot of whitewashing and why that's a bad thing. Yeah. They do it for the fact that, you know, uh, among other things that they, they, they can, they can get away with it. Yeah. And, and that's repulsive and something has to be done about that. But on this scale, I don't think that's as plausible because if somebody gives you a good audition here and, the performances unilaterally throughout this were amazing. Oh, great. These were amazing performances. Like, these people were perfectly cast across the board. And um, if somebody gives you a good audition at this uh, on this scale, you do that. You can't say, oh, you're a good actor, but you're black, so we can't have you. No, yeah, it, that, it, that's I, I don't, not really yeah, going to happen. Should, uh, yeah. Or, yeah, I, I presume it won't because, you know, yeah. I, I, on the one hand, but I, I, I really hope that does not happen and – it seemed like a, it seemed like an equitable distribution to me, mm-hmm. and there was um there was another aspect of the event which was interesting though was advertising, which well, was re- remarked upon by Mr. Holmes was that the uh, the nature of advertising they didn't think he he did not believe anyway dictated the slant of the web series but mm-hmm. the, some of these series are sponsored don't do have outside sponsors as well because. Ten grand is is nice, but it might it's not going to fund six episodes of a series with with uh, the budget that they have. So there there were outside sponsors, and he was he expressed a worry about that if that got larger, oh, if the advertising interest got larger because there might be more interest. Well, there might be more reason to control it essentially because yes, if if the advertiser has a low stake and then a low yield that improves on the stake, eh, they're probably not going to 
to stick much of a toe in. Like mm-hmm. ten grand for a company like Telus, peanuts. Yeah. Even like the subsidiary of Telus, still probably peanuts. Just yeah. more asking for said peanuts and possibly more work shelling them, but it's, it's still peanuts. And that yeah. was the entire thing about StoryHive. I found very inspiring, and I do want to say this to any listeners involved in the arts. This is the I, all four directors I talked to had this advice to give: if you want to make uh, if you want to make a film or a series, just do it. Just write it, mm-hmm. spend time on writing, leave plenty of time for post production, yep. conceptualize <laughs> it, and do it. And uh, this may rub the film faculty the wrong way, but the, the, their opinions on film school was more of a slight waste of time and money. <laughs> there you well, go. Well, it depends on how you, it, 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 that dep- it that's on how that, you take the ed- yeah, education, they, um, how you mm-hmm. grow within the yes. field. So people who are mm-hmm. interested in uh, creating stuff like yeah. this, there is a market in Vancouver mm-hmm. now. There is a market in Vancouver right now. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that they compared – I was telling them about how uh, – I mean, I go to the norm regularly. Yes, the old sub, they filmed iZombie there. We've mm-hmm. seen a lot of Supernatural going around. That's right. Too. X-Files, when they're refilming that, there were swastikas everywhere in the summer when they they do in uh, Man in the High Castle. Yep. Or did they CGI in the sw- – I get the feeling they CGI'd in the swastikas. I, I, I think they were real swastikas. I think they were real swastikas. There are pictures of them. Yeah. There was a stink about that, wasn't there? Like well, swastikas. Ah! Yeah, that is that is bad. That would be bad. That would. That, that be, that's the proper mm. response to seeing swastikas. That, that is the proper in a response public, to seeing in a swastikas. public university. <laughs> it's like UBC UBC swastikas. Whoa, what's happening? But they compared seeing these shows made in Canada to for a lot of the actors and the people in the Vancouver scene, which is a large scene. It's 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 the LA of Canada, and they compared that to being like. The waiter at a gr- the the waiter at a very nice luxury dinner mm-hmm. after you haven't eaten for ten hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's not it's kind of tantalizing, mm-hmm. and I, Canadian actors do have opportunities uh, that are abetted by the film American film industry, but yeah. that the, there do need to be more scenically, and I think that this this will this web it's series thing hopefully good, will help a good yeah. way for mm-hmm. people to get more grounding in local talent, which yes. is great. So uh, the. Now, uh, it is no longer ongoing, but you can view all of these series online. Oh, wonderful. And, and the StoryHive website, I believe, has links. Mm-hmm. And you can also contribute to 